What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. If you're just tuning in, uh, feel free to leave us comments and like and share if you enjoy this content because that helps us to boost everything up in the algorithm. And if you hit the subscribe button, you can see Dave's smiling face every week. Dave, we got a bunch of really positive comments uh, on the uh, the previous episode. People that were happy to see you back and healthy. <coughs> I don't know about healthy. Uh, back, maybe. This is taking some recovering from. Yeah. What's going on, man? Yeah, just same shit, different day. Um, just going to take time, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It has definitely been um, six weeks that I really can forget about, I mm. must admit. Yeah, like 2020, 2020, I think, is like the year that we all can. But I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I, I don't want to get into it. I'm, I'm going to stop, actually, because we do have a lot of stuff. I won't even take us that far off. We've got a bunch of questions. We're just going to jump straight into them today. We're going to make this a, a briefer episode. I'm trying to take it easier on Dave because now that he's in his old age and he's prone to illnesses and stuff, I as much as as much fun as we have on the show, I want to um, I want to let him rest. Dave, you need your rest. He's getting so pissed at me right now. Continue. All right, I'll just jump into him. Um, Some advice on strength-based cycles. This is from Juan. He's a real passionate dude. Lives in Mexico. I think him and his wife they have a uh, they have a strength and conditioning center where they do they use like hit therapy or excuse me hit training for for physical therapy kind of stuff. I don't I don't know exactly what he does, but he listens to all the shows. So also shout out to him. Strength. Strength. Strength drugs. Um, not particularly renowned as a direct strength dog, but Decker has always been a very useful addition to strength cycles for the joint support and the anti-inflammatory effects and all the rest of it. Mm. On the on the numbers side, on on the pharmacology side, it doesn't really stack up as a strength drug, but the reality of it, it, it can be very very useful when you're pushing big weights. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Um, test. Test suspension. Um, obviously, Tren is a powerful strength drug. Uh, Ment is a very good strength drug. I'm seeing that for myself uh, right now. Um, Oxys. Oxymethylone has always been very beneficial as an oral for strength. Halo, to some degree, from a point of view of on-the-day performance, pre-workout type boost. Um, one stage, particularly a compound, you're going to run throughout a strength building cycle but it's definitely something you could look at towards competition day and stuff like that yeah same same with milburn or check drops is another one you can add in on the day to give you an aggressive boost to try and increase strength on the day but as i said your your main compounds um train if you can handle it decker test meant i'm not so sure about dhb uh hmm. I don't think it's particularly anything special on that front. Yeah. Whereas the others do seem to have a very good, immediate sort of strength impact. And and related to DHB, I guess, would be, you know, Aquapoise. I don't really see EQ as being a great – it's great for endurance. You know, it's a great endurance compound. And 
I feel yeah. like I've been able to train longer, stay energized, but yeah, I wouldn't put it there. I noticed too, one thing that you've mentioned here, a couple of things I've noticed. A lot of times we talk about, when we talk about orals in bodybuilding, we talk about using them uh, leading into a contest, you know, winstrel at the end to get that more, just like the icing on the cake look. I think the other main time that I would consider an oral would be to boost strength. You know, I think that, mm-hmm. and you mentioned several orals. You also mentioned some faster acting compounds, things like uh, test suspension, which mm-hmm. what, what do you think about um, test no ester, the oil-based version versus suspension? There's, there's not much in it in the way of how the compound's going to act. I mean, the oil-based version should be a little bit less prone to infection because obviously water-based is notoriously risky when it comes to infection. Why, why is that? Bacterial carrying, uh, much easier for it to carry bacteria. You, you, you're not um, where you don't with the oil. The, the water will be more likely to breed it, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in actual action, I, I wouldn't really say there's much between them. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the the water base is going to be a little bit faster. Um, but, you know, otherwise, I wouldn't have said there'd be much between them at all, really, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, M- M-Trend's another one if you're looking at fast-acting compounds, which which, which will give you you know, a big strength boost, but it is also very taxing. I mean, it is horrendously taxing is, is entering. Yeah, one of our listeners on the YouTube actually commented, by the way, guys, thank you everybody who did comment on the master on episode we put out the previous week. Um, somebody asked if we could talk about M trend. Uh, I know we've, we've talked about it a little bit before. This is one that uh, I've used it once for a short period of time I experienced some really nasty side effects, getting overheated. I worked in a mm-hmm. hot environment and I just, it was killing me real quick. So I stopped taking it. And honestly too, I did feel like I got more aggression out of that. It was, it didn't mix well for me. Uh, that I hear that's pretty common, isn't it? Yeah. And I mean, the thing is you've got two types of strength drugs as well. Hmm. Um, you've got strength drugs that increase strength. And you've got strength drugs that increase aggression. Mm, yeah, like M. So M- Milburone, Milburone, check drops. Yeah, it, it, it's a veterinary drug, and it's renowned for causing aggression, which is why it, I, I, I don't know if it has fully been phased out in veterinary practice over here, but it definitely comes with lots of markers of you know warnings of aggression in the animal taking it and stuff like that, mm. um, and. You know that that that's a compound that you take purely to make yourself pissed off, hmm. more aggressive, more explosive, because you you're angrier at what you're doing, and 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 that has a carry on into you know increases in strength. Absolutely, uh, but it's not it's not acting through an anabolic action really, not in the same way as you would with something like say ment. Yeah. Um, yeah. The strength I'm getting from Ment is different for, than say, I, I haven't used check drops, but I have used Halo and that just pure aggression is definitely different. Now I'm, I'm pretty even keel. I, by the way, my estrogen, I can tell I haven't got it tested, but just managing like nipple sensitivity and stuff like that. 
I'm taking a lot more Arimidex on this using only 100 milligrams per week than I normally would ever have to. It's pretty crazy. But my strength has just steadily increased up and I'm getting more reps with the, you know, with my, with my PRs and stuff. So. And what's your blood pressure like? Um, my blood pressure was a little bit high and then I started upping the Arimidex and it came back down. So I think that okay, it had so. to do with like just the amount of fluid that I was holding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was funny because we recorded, and I told you I, I started Met Dave, and you, you, the first thing you said was check your blood pressure. Then literally that day, I squatted, and my nose just started gushing blood while I'm down in the hole. <laughs> I was like, "Yep, Dave was right." Yeah, it's it, it's common. Um, it's very very common. All right, I'll move on here. See what else we have. So I, I think I hear is uh, Mr. Fudd over there. What's he doing? He's chewing his bollocks, I think. <laughs> For anybody who doesn't know, Dave has this giant English bulldog, British bulldog, which is only proper. I've got my American bulldog over here sleeping quietly. Um, let's see. We'll go to the live feed here. Dom Kuza, great dude. He's a, a local coach, helping a lot of people, young guy. Uh, He's chewing his lips. That's what he's doing. Fud, Mister Fud. Fud, can we get some cooperation he's laid, here? He's laid up floor, chewing his lips. Uh, he says, "I'd love Fuddy. to hear uh, Dave thoughts." Thinking about bridging with test at fifty milligrams and Deca at hundred milligrams between now and my next blast, and that'll be a contest prep. My thoughts were having some test in for estrogen conversion to still uh, be present. Why the DECA? What's the reasoning behind the DECA? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not saying, you, you you know, if you've got joint issues and you're worried that they're going to flare up or whatever, then okay. But I, I would be a little bit concerned that you don't really want to be masking a joint issue with a drug. You really want to be trying to fix the joint issue. Uh, obviously, you might not be able to. It might be a long-term injury you just can't do anything about. But uh, I was just curious as to why did that get? Would it be, and I'm just kind of thinking of why Why would somebody want to, would it be more anabolic? Would you possibly grow more having DECA in there along with the test? I mean, I don't know. Well, you're not, you're not going to grow massively on 150 meg a week, are you? Yeah. Um, mm. I mean... It's enough. Uh, it's going to put you in an anabolic position. Yeah. <coughs> but it's not going to be anything really dramatic. Yeah. Um, and it also very much depends on what went before. Mm. Um, I mean, Decker, from a blood's point of view, is, is mild. It's not really stressful. So it's not. There are worse things you can run on a cruise. Yeah. Uh, and running a 150 mega test as opposed to 50 mega test and 100 mega deca would actually the 150 mega test would actually cause more stress than mm. the that he's proposing. Um, 50 might be a bit on the low side, um, depending on how he's running it. Okay. Um, if he's going to run it sub Q, then he'll be all right. But if he's going to run it IM, he might find it a little bit on the low side. Um, but it's not anything horrendous. He says, um, not a joint issue. 
Um, I've read about DECA and TRT protocols, higher anabolic properties um, just between blasts. He's looking at like eight to nine weeks. So kind of what I was suspecting. The, the anabolic increase, I would have said, is not significant enough to particularly have an impact. Okay. Um, I mean, you're looking at what you're looking at. 140 E2 or whatever it is, anabolic on DECA against your 100 on test. Um, such a small dose, it, it's hardly going to be really significant to change much. I mean, I think that's a bit of a case of sort of being a little bit over um, overcomplicated. If he were to do this, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put this in a really simple way, and I think you'll agree with me. If he were to do this on his off periods for the next five years versus if we could have him not do it and just use you know a small dose of test, I don't think that we're going to see any difference. It's not like this was the game changer. This is no. why he changes his, his weight class, you know? No, not at all. Um, I think the impact from a point of view of growth will be, in real world terms, will be virtually none. Yeah. Um, um, it's one of them where I see nothing wrong with it, but I see no reason for it either. Fair enough. Um, so it's not like I'm thinking, oh, fucking hell, what you're doing, you daft sod, because no, I, I don't see any real negatives from it at all. But at the same time, I don't see any reason or benefit from it either. So if he wants to try it, it's not going to do him any harm. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Um, most effective shoulder mass building exercises with minimal injury risk this is a topic i've been thinking a lot about actually lately now i'm gonna say something now and you're probably gonna go oh, no okay and the viewers are probably gonna go oh, no <laughs> and the one thing i'm going to say is it is not the exercise that is the problem it is the execution of the exercise that is the problem and a huge no. number of people do not know how to behind the neck press. And it is a huge mass builder. Ah, uh, no. Yes. Everybody regards BMP as being a rotator cuff destroyer. It is not. Okay. The problem is people do not know how to set up the bar. How low should you take that thing? Do you go all you the way can take that as low as your flexibility allows you to. So when I used to do it, I used to take, I used to drop it onto my traps. But if your shoulder flexibility doesn't allow that, then you can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem is that me most, The problem is that when most people do BMP, they come down and they end up generally in this position. Yes. Accommodating the bar. Straight away. Which straight away is causing the rotator cuffs to, to change position. For the audio what people, you should have Dave's head leaning is your shoulders forward. pinned back. Hmm. And you should have your chest up and your head should be neutral and you should still be able to clear your head and get the bar behind you. Yeah, yeah. And that position will not damage your shoulder. Yeah. And I've, all right. I, tend, I used to mainly do Smith's machine for behind the neck press just from a safety aspect. 
But I mean, I've been I've been up as high as two hundred and twenty kilo for five reps on a Smith, and I've done two hundred for four on a free bar. Yeah. Um, and I've never had. The only time I had a shoulder issue was when some numb fuck couldn't pass me a ninety fucking kilo dumbbell. Um, even though I asked him about four times if he was strong enough to lift it to my shoulder, and he didn't, and he pretty much dropped it on me, and I had to dick it underneath, uh, and I damaged my shoulder. Then that's the only time I've had a shoulder injury. Hmm. And I've BMP'd all my life. You DNP'd? BNP. DNP. Behind the neck. B N. Oh. oh. Behind neck press. Okay. And the reason I favor it is because it doesn't focus on the anterior delt. Huh. It focuses on the medial delt. So it builds huge width, huge shoulder mass. And you don't get that front delt overpower that you get when you use a military press or a front press because um, your front delt's getting overdeveloped and making your physique look shit. Now, I've got to, I, I will say this. So I haven't done behind the neck, but I, I have shoulders had been something that grew on me fast. They developed quickly. They were a muscle group that had never been really an issue from the time I started training. And at one point, they were my strongest muscle group. I've always been a dumbbell presser. And I've pressed them more in a neutral position. Like they're, they're not in mm -hmm. front of me. I, I'm not good. No. I don't like that. The bar in front of me, that doesn't feel good. I press like further back where it's kind of coming like mm -hmm. in line with my shoulders. So I do I do see where you're coming from. Yeah. The advantage and that, that's that that a very be. similar movement. The other thing that you see with BMP, sorry, with uh, dumbbell press, yeah, is you see people either having a very high incline instead of a 90 bench. Or you see them bridging so much on the bench, it becomes an incline. Yeah. And what you need to learn to do is get your ass back into the bench. And mm. like you said, rotate so your elbow's under your hand and you're in line. Because then you're going to hit your shoulder. Mm. This and that isn't going to do you any favors. You want to make sure you're back, you're rotated, and you're pulled back. And, and like you're describing how you dumbbell press, and that will build big delts. I'll tell you what now, my my train of thought has changed a little bit. And this has been since I tore that super spinatus just in the last six months now. Um, like I said, shoulder press had always been something I was strong at. It, it became an ego lift for me where I do shoulder press first on when I train shoulders so that I could lift as much as possible. And the best I got was pretty good. Like I got to the 130s and I could do those for sets of 10. And uh, now though, I try to do my shoulder press at the end of the routine so that mm, if, I, I've always tended to. Yeah. It, I can't lift as much that way. The, 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 the shoulders are already going to be pre fatigued. I can't handle as much. I'm less likely to get injured. And honestly, nowadays I see them as being more of an accessory movement. I do push pull legs and you know, shoulders are just like two exercises for me. And then I'll do rear delts on my back day, but I do lateral raises and then I do, and overhead press. I don't go at nearly, nearly. I go. I use like half the weight I used to, because I'm going to grow my shoulders through my my main compound lifts, and that's what I'm focusing on. I I used to always start with rears. Okay. And I found that was a very good way to warm the shoulder up by starting with rears. And plus, rears tend to get neglected. They tend to be an afterthought, and they tend to generally be unbalanced. Yeah. And then more often than not, I would go laterals and I would finish with press. I like that, yeah. But 
I would never, or I won't say never, I would rarely start with press. Okay. Because that's a big joint to warm up. Mm. Uh, and it's a very multifaceted joint to warm up. Uh, and I preferred to go through the isolation movement and make sure the joint was really, really warm before I started attempting to put any serious poundages through it. Yeah. yeah. I have occasionally done heavy press to start with, uh, but when I have done, I've made sure I've thrown in a shitload of extra warm-up sets. Mm, but I, I, I used to do a little bit of a rotation of the shoulder at the top of the movement as well to extend and contract the delt, which was useful okay. on lighter weight. But the thing too is that, and this is I think why my train of thought has changed since I tore my shoulder. It's been that a lot of guys, one of their why do we end up not being able to bodybuild anymore? It's usually because of injury, and joints tend to fail. And the shoulder joint, now that I've learned more, the shoulder joint is not it's not a perfect joint. It, there's a lot that can go wrong with it, mm. and it's not really put together perfectly. So if you can save your shoulders versus versus tax them hard, I would err on the side of saving your shoulders in that movement and you will still be able to grow them. Now, if you if you've worked for five years and you still have shoulder underdevelopment, then maybe let's talk and let's figure something out. But I wouldn't as a as a staple do very heavy overhead anymore. It's just where I'm at. I think. As you get older or have you experience injuries, you just become more cautious. It's just nature. Yeah. Um, and the shoulder joint, I mean, you've got a shoulder joint that has a pec tie-in, mm -hmm. has a lat tie-in, has a bicep tie-in, has a tricep tie-in, plus three heads of the delt tie-in, plus a trap going through there. Yeah. You know, there is a lot of muscle attaching and crossing over and intermingling in that area and, and shoulder problems or what appear shoulder problems can come from biceps yes yes um you know and it is there's a lot going on in there and it is something you need to to really be respectful of and take the time and don't just go through the motions work the muscle get it warm mm -hmm. um and you know it's like anything, keep your form. As long as you keep your form, nine times out of ten, you're going to be okay. <clears throat> there will always be exceptions, sure. uh, unfortunately, and injuries sometimes just do occur with the greatest will in the world. But uh, as long as you work within your form range and you go to the weight you can sustain in that, then you shouldn't really have any issues. Yeah. It's when, it's when you start trying to go beyond that. And I discovered, too, kind of further on what you're saying – as I began rehabbing my shoulder this year, I discovered that a lot of the mobility work that I needed to do wasn't even related to the shoulder directly. And this relates to what you're saying. It's like I'm going in through the lat and through the rib and into the pec, getting mobility in those areas because it's those things that support my ability to do that overhead press. So it's like getting that stuff strong has been a key factor. And I don't think that I really focused on that kind of thing before. I did my best pressing when I, I had my most religious stretching routine for, for my upper body. Hmm. That's one thing we all, I think, could probably do better at is mobility and stretching. I working shit. that into our program, you know? I was shit for it. 
I, I only addressed it when it got to a point I had a problem. Dude, that's all of us. That's really, that's all of us. If we want to be our strongest, I really do think that's the one thing we could do. I mean, I got to a point where I couldn't even tie a tie because I couldn't get my hands to my throat. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, fucking ridiculous. Well, part of that, too, I feel I couldn't like your biceps get in the way. Like, I have a hard time getting, like, my face, getting my hands to my, wash my face. Because like the, your arms just don't close as far as they used to, you know. Uh, uh, I do remember some ridiculous physical limitations. I bet at your size, good God. Yeah, it was. I couldn't. I couldn't change my collar. Couldn't flick it down or up. How about hold a phone up um, to your ear? Oh, that was agony. <laughs> that was agony. Oh, that was ridiculous. Yeah, no, all sorts. I was. I got to a point at one point where I was I was having to squat and hold the plates on top of the bar like that because I couldn't get my hands on the bar. And started my mobility work after that because it was just getting painful to squat in yeah. the shoulders and my elbows. Uh, Let's see here. We got a question from Joe. He says it would be great to hear yours and Dave's thoughts on recovery and training on cruise or off periods. Is increasing volume or frequency a bad idea? Should you train a muscle group when it doesn't feel recovered? Thank you from a fellow Yorkshireman, although I'm not a Wessie like Dave. What's a Yorkshireman? Somebody from the God's country of Yorkshire. Okay. So you're a Yorkshireman. Of, of, of which the West region is the best. The West? West. West. A Wessie. We have West, North, East, and South. Of Yorkshire. Of Yorkshire. You said Yorkshire. <laughs> I hate you. I hate you so much. Guys, we I, have can't do, I can't do this anymore. We have an ongoing I, I theme. I can't. I just can't carry on. Dave I cannot says, do this anymore. Dave says it's pronounced Yorkshire. It is I, pronounced Yorkshire. And I told him, it's <laughs> not what you just said. You, I hate you, I hate you. And I know what you're going to do. You're going to edit that into a fucking clip, aren't you? You horrible bastard. Okay, composure. Um, yeah. Um, I've always been... I've never changed training frequency between being on cycle or off cycle. Um... Training intensity would naturally reduce off cycle because I obviously didn't have the benefit of the gear, increasing strength and such like. Um, but I always ran a very simple and basic rule. If I had a shit session, I'd tell myself off and I'd go in the next session determined to make up for the shit one. Yeah. If I had another shit session... I would start to consider that there may be something off. I'd still go and train the next time I was due to train. And if things hadn't improved by the third session, then I would usually take a day off and have a look through things and reassess and see if there's anything that I felt was contributing to the decline in training quality. Usually, nine times out of 10, I'd have a six session. I'd feel fine, but my strength would drop to the floor. And then a day or two later, I'd be ill. 
Um, but generally speaking, I found no need to change my training frequency because of the natural ebb and flow of intensity through being on cycle and not on cycle. And I found that that period of time when you were off cycle, the fact that you were trying to maintain your training frequency and maintain your strength was what contributed to maintaining your size. But at the same time, I would listen, you know, and if I was repeatedly having substandard workouts, then I would know something was wrong and it needed to be changed. Yeah. And I'd start with taking a day or two off, I'd look at diet, I'd look at sleep, you know, and see if there was anything I could notice that was contributing to the problem. And if there was, I'd address it. Where are you, little shitbag? I can't see you. Well, Dave just disappeared. Oh, he's back. There he is. Stop it! He's masturbating again. <laughs> it's you! You pervert! Don't do that when we're podcasting. It's dirty. It's not all excited. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get it back together here. Uh, uh, oh my God, Dave. I just laughed so hard. You don't get this quality programming with other podcasts, do you? <laughs> What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff. I'm Scott McNally. I'm here, of course, with Dave Crossland. We are doing listener questions about bodybuilding and steroids. And masturbation. Yeah, you know, I'm struggling, Dave, with figuring out D-loads in general. I'm not a fan of structure. Uh, I don't like this X amount of weeks, then do a D-load. Yeah. But I am a fan of listening and responding to what's happening. But I understand that that is actually quite a skill set. Yeah. And a lot of people are very quick to go, oh, no, I've lost 10 kilo. I must need a deload month. Instead of just grabbing themselves by the balls, pillock booking themselves up and actually having to go and doing it properly. Yeah. Um, and... I think I think people get so lost in technicality of, oh, well, I've done three weeks of of progression and I've done a week of hydrophy and now I need to do a deload week and now I need to I like, fuck off. Yeah. You know, in all honesty, of the physiques of the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and even two thousands, you ever hear of anyone doing a deload week? Intuitively, I think it was more of an intuitive thing. Yeah, in but the that's past. what I mean. It wasn't structured. It yeah. was, I'm fucked. I need a couple of days off. Yeah. Or I'm not feeling it today. Let's just go for a bit of a pumpy session. Yeah. And I, I'm all for that level of intuitive and, and knowing your physique. I'm not for this forced structure of doing it at set points when it might not even be necessary. 
Yeah. It, it may be helpful for newer people is what I'm coming to the conclusion of people who, um, you know, just like, just like when you first start dieting it, I think it can be really valuable to stick to a very strict fixed plan in an off season because it takes understanding the fundamentals and the basics and understanding how to do things before you can become creative and you can be intuitive. So I think that mm-hmm. there there is probably some benefit to a more structured deload for those people. I think the problem is that people don't learn how to train. They learn how to follow a plan they learn how to follow some preset system yeah but they don't actually learn how to train so their programming is i do this for this many reps on this day and this and this and this and they never actually sort of listen to what's going on and and engage with what they're doing and and how it's affecting them and how they feel and they stick so rigid to the plan whereas you know, if, if I go in the gym one day uh, and I might have decided, you know what, I'm not really feeling it today. I'm just going to keep it fairly light, go for a bit of pump and squeeze, you know, feel it. And I might get into the workout and start thinking, fucking hell, that's what I feel good. Yeah, I've done that more than once. And, yeah, and I end up doing PBs and shifting huge tons of weight. Yeah. Uh, and I think you you need to be that flexible. You need to be that responsive and just take advantage when you can. Sure. I don't like this over-restrictive structure. Uh, you know, if you're on a failure set and you're supposed to fail for, say, six reps and you get six reps, keep fucking going. Yeah. Get seven, get eight, get nine, get ten. Just keep going. Just because it says I'll fail at six doesn't mean you stop at six because you've got there. You just keep going. Yeah. But people have got just over-technical to a degree. And, and though I know just pick everything up and put them back down again is oversimplifying, there is an element to that that people could really do with listening to. Yeah. Um, and I'm not trying to be you know, deliberately awkward and overly simple because obviously there is a lot more to training than just picking things up. But I think too many people forget the basic fundamentals, which is to go in there and stimulate muscle growth. Yeah. It's not to do sets with that weight or six reps with that weight. That's not the goal. The goal is to stimulate muscle growth and the sets and reps are the tools you use to achieve that. They are set in stone. They are the end goal. The end goal is damage. The end goal is muscular damage to elicit a response of growth. The end goal is not so many reps, so much weight or so many sets. Absolutely. we got a bunch of uh, questions that are piling up now. So let's rapid fire a few out. Um, let's see. One came up in the feed here. Oh, and by the way, too, uh, I, we don't want to name names, but I did want to give a shout out, Dave. We were I wanted okay. to do this actually uh, before uh, you got sick. We were planning on doing it right when we came back to the next episode and then we took like a month off. But one of our listeners uh, bought a T-shirt and then he came back the next week and he said, hey, I bought another shirt, but don't send it to me. I'm good. I just wanted to say thank you. He said, I bought the first one because I wanted to support you guys. And uh, and I believe he signed up for your website as well. 
And then he came back and he said, hey, I bought another shirt, but I just wanted to do it just to contribute, to say thank you because the information that he got from our show had helped him. So I wanted to give him a thank you. And uh, and I I sent Dave half of that money. No, so. no I didn't. You keep saying this. You I'm sent gonna, me nothing. I'm going to, I'll have to get the PayPal invoice. Yeah, Photoshop. 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 But I did. So we split the we split the profits there. So uh, you are now a paid employee, Dave, of the Think Big Bodybuilding Media Network. And with that Fine. comes more responsibility. I'm going to have to require you to be on time. Okay. I want sick wages for being ill. Well, that was a pre-existing condition before. No, our no, no, it wasn't. Began. No, it wasn't because that payment was made before I was ill. So I want sick <laughs> pay for being ill. I want holiday pay. I want dental. I want health insurance. I want a works uniform. I need a new microphone and camera. In fact, I need a new computer. Dave said he wants a work uniform. Would you guys do me a favor? Help me pick out a work uniform for Dave. <laughs> Because I think that we can make that one. We can make that one happen. We need to pick out a good work uniform for Dave. All right, I'll get to the I'll get to the question though. But thank you very much. We we really do appreciate it, and that was very touching. And it is not necessary. We don't do this for money. Yes. Because if we did, then we would be failing quite miserably. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How high can injectable carnitine be taken uh, if? on a restrictive diet, modified carnivore, uh, to fix slightly out of range fasted morning glucose levels. How long after they are back in range, is it safe to start adding complex carbs, fruits back into the diet? Oh, so it sounds like two questions there. You know, I don't actually know how high you can take cartoning. I mean, um, I feel like it hurt. It's painful, isn't it? I don't I mean, last time I ran it, I ran it IV, so I didn't see any real pain from it. Yeah. Um, I did see a noticeable upturn in available energy. Uh, I was actually quite surprised uh, how of an impact it made. Yeah. Um, but I would have thought... I can't even remember the doses at the moment. I've just gone blank. Well, I know 600 is considered to be like the standard, but then I've talked I'll, to I'll just six to 800. Yeah. Yeah. But I've talked to a researcher uh, that I happen to know, and she said that she's gone much lower and she's seen it work effectively with her clients at like 200 even. So what would be the reason? Do you absolutely need to take it higher? You know what I mean? Like, is there, you know, is there going to be any additional benefit? I, I don't know. I'd, I'd almost err on the other side. Like, what's the least amount I can have to deal with injecting every day and get the benefit that I want? You know, I'm sure I run it at about a gram, but I think that was because it was coming in gram vials and it was just easier. Yeah. Um, and I did notice an impact, but uh, it, it worked quite well actually, to be honest. Uh, I didn't see any negatives from it in any way, shape, or form as to how long he's going to need it to address what he's discussing. I, I'm sorry. I, I just don't know. And I'll tell you what. I'm not a huge fan of going by fasted morning glucose levels either. I 
that I see so much of the dawn phenomenon where people are getting, you know, almost like an artificially elevated level. I'd say I'd test two hours after having eaten a high carb meal and see where your levels are then. And I'd say that that's going to be a more accurate reading of how you're responding. That'd be my thought. Okay. Okay. And then play with it with the, he said to ask uh, when, when should we uh, add complex carbs and fruits back in? I'd say, I'd say, you know, feel it out, you know, after he gets mm-hmm. where he wants to be, uh, you know, add a little, just add a little and see, that's the way I would handle it as a coach. I don't have an answer, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. What else do we got here? Um, regarding, we kind of talked about this last week, E2 levels, address address them based off of blood work or based off of symptoms uh, you had Both. said yeah just because your e2 blood work might not be particularly high doesn't mean you're not sensitive to its effect and when running drugs like trend that increase e2 sensitivity mm. um then you could actually have a reaction at levels that you normally wouldn't well, you're talking about the so, well, your uh, response. Then it's not really based off of the level you're getting. You're talking about well, like, if you need it. I, th- I think it's a bit of both. You know, the problem is with E2 issues is that some of the size and issues could be related to other hormone imbalances. Yeah. So if you're, for argument's sake, getting gyno, and then you run your numbers and your E2s quite low. Yeah. Then you're more likely to be some issue with prolactin. So I, I, I just think it, it, you've got to you've got to look at bloods, but you've also got to look at how you react and feel. I know people that have estrogen in, in UK terms running out of 200, 250, and they have no side effects whatsoever. Hmm. And I know people that at two hundred will have gyno. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's, I don't think you can say that there's a preset that at this level of E2, you need this amount of management. It's got to be a balance between how the person feels, what their symptoms are, and what they're trying to achieve as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all know estrogen is a, a very good mass builder. Yeah. So if you can afford to run it a little bit on the high side because you're not getting problems with symptoms, then crack on. Yeah. Crack on. I like that. Mm. Crack on, Dave. Um, what else do we have here? What about... Uh, oh, this is one that I think a lot of people are dealing with. If it's not COVID, people are catching different colds, flus. I've had clients getting sick. Uh, bouncing back from being sick. Lost 25 pounds. What's the best way to get it back? And also, I'll take it further... Uh, I know that this guy was on a cycle. I believe it was a test trend master on cycle when he got sick. If you're to get sick, first of all, Dave, uh, really, if you're planning on continuing the cycle, and if you were halfway through, let's say, I would probably stay on. You know, I would not, cruise. You would you would cruise if you caught like a flu or something like that. You just come back. Depending on how severe it was, to lose twenty five pounds because of an illness is quite a severe flu. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm saying on the onset, if you got sick, you know. If you're talking a week of the sniffles, then yeah, it's no big deal, is it? But if you're talking something that's going to be a bit longer lasting, yeah, then I would probably look to cruise. Um, 
regards getting back onto it, I, I personally wouldn't go back on cycle. I would just get back into regular training and back into regular diet and let things sort of just find the way around. And then once I had done a few weeks of that and I felt like I was brand new, then I'd consider possibly going back to the cycle. Okay, yeah. And then what, how about, just... what about nutrition? Well, I mean, it depends on, on what your illness has caused. Yeah. If you can eat normally, eat normally. Why would you eat any differently? You might have to build the food back up because, one, you're 25 pound lighter, so you're not going to have a requirement for that much food. Yeah. So it'd be a case of scaling it down a little bit and then slowly building it back up. But I think too many people junk on cycle and try and rush the sides back on. And it's usually counterproductive. Um, it's like coming off a comp prep and, and just eating everything in, in sight for the next six weeks. Yeah. <coughs> Eventually it'll blow up in your face. Um, so I would just gradually build it up. Yeah. People are very impatient uh, and they've got to realize there's a lot of time and a few weeks just spent getting back to where you were is not going to be detrimental to your overall physique development. And a lot of that is going to be hydration. You know, when you get sick, yeah. you start purging your minerals, you start purging electrolytes, you get dehydrated. So I would say, here's the advice I give to people that I work with is, A, make sure that your electrolytes are up. And then B, I think that fluid is the most important thing. If you're feeling weak, even after you're, you know, you get, you recover, you're in that recovery phase, you want to start lifting weights again, but you feel weak. I think a lot of times that has to do with your hydration levels. So make sure hydration is up. And then the food, you know, like Dave said, I think you can work that back up. And with training, I've suggested that if you've had a, like a couple week, two, three week layoff and you really were blasted. My thought would be to get back in and train light first. Like I'll do a full body workout, meaning like three sets of chest, three sets of back. And these are not crazy hard to failure sets. These are pump the muscle up, feel good, get in and out in 40 minutes, you know, work your whole yeah, body and then just, take the next day off, you know. Just ease back into it. If you ease back and you're, you're going to be very prone to injury as well because your hydration is going to be low. Sure. Yeah. Your glycogen retention is going to be low. Um, so you, you're going to be prone. So you, you do need to take a week or so to just ease back in. Yeah. Listen, I think that's a great place for us to cut the show off. We had a few more questions, but guys, uh, if we didn't get to your question this week, we will tackle them on the next one. Uh, Dave, I know you have some lab work you're going to be doing today. What else do you have going on? And that's it, really. Uh, I'm waiting for the nurse to come around and, and take my bloods for the warfin because of the blood clots. Um, and that's it. Yeah. Fuck all else. I know you've been uh, building your uh, your nutrition clients back up. How's that going? Yeah, uh, uh, well, it's slow. It's a bad time of year, isn't it? Um, I am very actively open for new clients, both now and in the new year. So if anybody's interested, drop me a line. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's there's some interest, but obviously, I, I mean, I've noticed a lot of people are in the same boat. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of coaches that wouldn't normally advertise advertising. Everybody's hurting. Um, and obviously, you know, people are concerned about their financial futures as well because of the economies and what's going on with everything else. Sure, sure. And I have some new training plans. Uh, but I, well, I have a new client with Scott anyway, so Scott's going to be paying me good money, so that should be fine. <laughs> I already sent you that PayPal, Dave. 
yeah, that was several noughts missing. That was part of, that was uh, twofold. That was your payment for the show? No, 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 no. And guys, we need your thoughts, some ideas on a costume. I mean, a uniform for Dave, a work uniform that he can put on when we come on the show each week. Yes. And I will send you my bank details so you can forward me payment for coaching. All I need is your uh, your routing number and your checking account number. That's all mm. I need. No, and in fact, you can pay, pal. I don't trust you. Do you have you. a social security number? Do you guys have that? Because oh. if so, I could use that too, probably. Maybe a copy of your photo ID. No, okay. No, all right. No, I, I know about people like you. <laughs> all right, guys, for another episode of Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland, I'm Scott McNally. Check out truenutrition.com, our great sponsor. You can use our code ADVICES for some additional savings on awesome health and performance supplements. Go to crosslands.org.uk. Uh, you can find all this stuff down in the show notes, and you can reach out to me too. So uh, once again, if you enjoyed oh. this show, do us a favor, hit the like button. Uh, you tell us, tell me how you feel about Dave. I want to hear uh, what you really think about him. <laughs> we'll see you guys soon. All right, take care. <laughs>